Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 22, verse 1. And the last time we looked at the parables of the ambitious guest and the ambitious host, which were really the precursors to the parable of the wedding feast in Luke 14. But this parable, interestingly enough, is also told later by the Lord in Matthew 22. And that's actually the parable we're going to use for this morning because Jesus amps it up a little bit. You know, it's getting close to the end of his ministry and he's dealing with a lot of hard-hearted people especially the elites, especially the religious elites. Of course, the Lord's desire is for everyone to go to heaven. And he's really fighting against selfishness and hard-heartedness in the people, uh, self-righteousness and pride. And he's trying to alert them and warn them that they're in spiritual danger, that if they continue on this path, they're going to miss, and they were missing, the invitation to salvation through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, of course, the parable of the wedding feast you, we start to learn about this open, open invitation to salvation. And strangely enough, the ones who were the religious leaders were the worst offenders. If you want to read on your own Matthew 23, um, he's pretty serious about the hypocrisy in the religious system. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is where Jesus is going. And, uh, you know, as he goes through this, you know, he's, he's looking at this situation and he finds, and, and this is what I, I find really, really neat, is that the longer I teach, I'm still learning things. You know, I'm, I think I'm my 15th year as a pastor, and I never really taught the parable straight, straight through before, but I'm doing it now, and we've been doing it for the last few months, and I'm actually saying, wow, when I start to put them together and line them up against each other, there's a lot in here. And if you look at the parables, a lot of it has to do with evangelism bringing people to salvation. That's really like the main focus in these parables. And you know what? Today, is it any different? So back then, maybe if you were an elitist or you were politically connected, you were doing well for yourself, again, there was no middle class. So if you made it past being poor and you did something with your life, um, you were set. And unfortunately, that was used as a cushion for pride and self-reliance and things like that. But is it any different today? You know, Jesus has that same clarion call to salvation. You know, he wants everybody in his kingdom. And today, people have different distractions. They don't always have to be bad. It could just be the mundane routines of life. They're, they're doing this, they're buying and selling. Even Jesus, when he speaks about the last days and, and the Lord's return, he said the people, and speaking about maybe our generation or a generation after us, would be marrying and giving and marrying, buying and selling, doing these things. So Jesus really had to amp up his teachings to kind of break through the, the mundaneness uh, of life to, to show us that, you know, we don't know if today or tomorrow is going to be our last day. And we really need to consider the Lord and, and, and wake up to what he's trying to, to bring us into his kingdom because one day it'll be too late. And we're going to check this out in seven parts. So going in Matthew 22, verse 1, it says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. So he would tell a parable, he would espouse this, 
and then he would <laughs> move into another parable, sometimes multiple parables, and they just would look at him. But his disciples and his followers would say, wow, this is fascinating. I mean, this is the Son of God telling us something that we really need to kind of meditate on, put together, so that we can learn something. But others would just get an, uh, annoyed or walk away from the situation. So the par- parables are very polarizing. They would bring those into the faith, into God's loving arms for those that were interested and the ones that couldn't be bothered or just were there for a free meal or this or that um, would just walk away from the situation or be antagonistic towards him. And, and we see the same thing today. You, you espouse the parables in, on a Sunday morning or you know, any church or out in evangelism in the street. Some are going to be drawn to it. Some are going to be drawn to it this morning and some are going to be like, this, is, this doesn't interest me. I think I find it boring. Now remember, this is the third of the Lord's teachings were in parables, so it's something we really need to pay attention to. But it does reveal where our heart is. Is it moving towards God or is it moving more away from God? So jumping in, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, He sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So one out of seven is we see the symbols. What's the symbolism? Well, we know that the king is God the Father. A lot of these are simple. The, the Son, of course, Jesus speaking about himself, God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. C, the prophets or the servants would be the prophets. Uh, D, the initial group invited would be Israel and her leadership. And ironically, they were, especially the leadership, they were the ones that, and sadly enough, you've you really got to be careful who you follow because the people, some of the people looked up to them and they were teaching them the wrong things. They were, they were saying that Jesus was, was a false prophet and all this kind of stuff. E, the bride ends up being the mixed church. Okay, um, This isn't anything unusual because in the Old Testament, God the Father spoke about Israel, the Israelites, his, like his love. Spiritually, he had a, a marriage with the children of Israel. That's why in the prophets, you would often hear him speak about spiritual adultery, where they would go after these little demonic gods and walk away from, the, from God. So the bride ends up being the mixed church, the Jew and Gentile church. Now some see, and I don't want to put too many, uh, too many meanings to everything that's going on here because that's really when you learn how to teach the parables, if you start try to find a meaning for every little thing, you start to get confused. There was a point that the Lord was trying to make, and we can make it more difficult than it needs to be. Um, some see the other servants and the later servants. I'm not married to this interpretation as the disciples the apostles, uh, and the evangelists. However, the king says the wedding feast is ready. Well, that really happened in the first century. That's what kind of started this whole thing. Right? Jesus Christ, uh, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him, on Christ, would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I'll just go through some briefly some time-sensitive prophecies. In Daniel 9, this is why today if somebody just pops up and goes, I'm the Messiah. This has been going on for centuries. I'm the Messiah, and people follow them. 
It's because they don't know the word. In Daniel 9, Daniel 9 told us pretty much the precise day that the Messiah would come and present himself, and that's already passed. That's some 2,000 years ago. Uh, Haggai 2, 7 and 8 said the Messiah would be, uh, his parousia or his, his presence would be in, that's in the second temple. It's not there anymore. Um, these are really cool stuff, real deep into the Old Testament. Genesis 49.10 told us the political situation under the Romans when Jesus would come. Again, these things, these, it's a window of time that came and went. It's past. So nobody after the time of Christ could claim to be the Messiah because of these prophecies. But this was time. The wedding feast was ready. And God was inviting, inviting. Come on, come on to the wedding feast. Now many of those spurned the invitation. And you know what? Today, people spurn the invitation. You know, let's just be real. You know, it's somebody is, is, hears the word. The word is either going to harden an unbeliever and just blow it off, or the person's going to, little by little, start to have an interest and have a curiosity and maybe want to know more. You know, because what happens is when you come to the Lord, things happen. And, and everybody knows that, even an unbeliever. Well, there could be some change. I might have to make some changes in my life or my lifestyle or my business practices or how I relate to others. It might involve some sacrifice. And just like back then, today, a lot of people don't want to do that. They're not interested. They're going to they're gonna gamble with their salvation. You know, they're going to roll the dice and see if they're going to be awake tomorrow morning. And just so you know, I'm not trying to come off as sanctimonious. I I just want to stop and digress for a moment because I was the guy in college who heard the gospel a few times and, you know, I was involved in my lifestyle. And I was interested, but the draw of the world was, was much more powerful back then. And it probably took several times, just speaking for myself. And I look back and I say, gee, if I would have come to the Lord earlier, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache and pain. So I wasn't the guy who... I heard the gospel for the first time and I jumped at it, you know. So I'm not, I'm not coming from a place of, I'm better than you, believe me, because I'm going to say that probably a dozen or more times I just kept in, in my life and then eventually it, it just clicked for me. Okay, so I just want to make that clear. But even today in the church, you know, those that are saved, that have a, 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 a menial relationship with the Lord, you know, the priority of God and His Word are always put last. And then there's a tragedy, and then they get mad. And they say things, and they may even get mad at God. They get irritated because the trial comes and they're not prepared. Because during a crisis, they're struggling. Because God's not prioritized first. You know? Now, as, as illogical as the thinking and the behavior of the spurners and the parable, it's just as illogical today. The excuses are illogical. Come on, this is God we're talking about. God, sending his son, you know, the CEO of the universe, wants us to come along, wants to save us, wants to bless us. Yeah, no, thanks God, but I'm really busy right now. And, and that's what we say when we, when we say no. That's really what we say. Verse 4. The second out of, of seven points here is the invitation. This is very important because... The word come is very powerful. If I say to, I'm going to pick on Terry because he's sitting in the front. Terry, come. Well, he's just sitting there right now. He's not coming. And Terry has a few choices. He could come. He could sit there. He could say, I don't feel like being picked on and walk out of the back. So come necessitates a response, right? Come is a powerful word. Isaiah 55, the prophecy of the invitation to the Messiah 
In the first verse in Isaiah 55, come is said three times by the Lord through the prophet. Come, come, come. In this parable, which isn't very big, eight times three words are said. Call. Same thing. Call. I'm calling you. Very similar to come. Call, come, invite. An invitation. What do you do when you get an invitation to a wedding? Well, if you do nothing, you're really going to tick off those people. Just so because they're trying to count the numbers and stuff. It's called an RSVP. You get invited to something, you either ignore it, which is not wise. You say, yes, we'll be there, me and my wife or whoever. Or you say, no, we're not going to be there. These are very powerful words. I'm going to tell you towards the end why I'm saying it like this and why I'm really, really being detail-oriented in this situation. But eight times, a combination of those three words are said in this parable. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, now is the acceptable time. I love that word now, because whenever you read it, it's now. It always applies. It's a great word. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So today, June 18th, 2017, the Lord is calling somebody here through the word. This could be your day. So you have a choice. You could just sit there and ignore it. You could walk out, or you can come. It's, it's totally up to you. And in the, in the invitations that we give, and I tell you what, I've had folks over time, they, you know, people are, when they get into, this is why I like the non-denominational churches, because, you know, people come in and go, well, this is my doctrine, what's your doctrine? Like, they're, they just argue about the silliest little details. And we have those that come in from time to time, and they say, well, this is my doctrine, and why do you do an altar call? Well, because when we do an altar call, well, it's, the altar call is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible either. There's a lot of things that are not in the Bible, but they're expressed in the Bible. So when the word says to come, we give an opportunity at the end of service for you to come. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to this church. Your feet and the fact that your brain is telling your feet to walk up to the front and repeat a, a particular prayer so now what's happening is your feet, your lips, your brain, everything is reinforcing what the Lord has already been doing to you while you've been sitting there, while you've been hearing the word. So you're basically articulating something that's going on inside. That's all it is. That's all it is. People can receive the Lord in their bedroom. They don't have to come. It's not a doctrinal thing. But it's something where we give an opportunity to put a, a mile marker on that acceptance of Christ as your Lord and Savior. I did it. You know, it was, it, was, it was pretty awesome. So we look at these things. Now, verse 5, uh, there was a response. So there was a lot of responses. So the invitation goes out, and some people scoff. They make fun. I'm not going to that wedding. I've got better things to do. Some even killed the messengers. And this was, of course, symbolic of what happened over the course of human history. Um, and many went their, their own ways. And when we go our ways, we're not going God's ways. We can go two ways in life. And Jesus always broke things down into one or two. Yeah, but I want the third. There is no third option. You're either on the narrow road that leads to eternal life or you're on the wide road that leads to destruction. You either choose him or you rebel against him. These are very simple things. But we as human beings like a lot of options, especially Americans. We love options. You go to the supermarket, there's millions of options. You get confused in the, in the grocery store. But when it comes to God, you're either going in one place or the other. So a lot of them, the Bible says, went their ways. Now let me look at some of these excuses, and that's three. So two is the invitation, three are the excuses given. 
And these are negative responses. Now, I pulled the excuses and I, I blew them up. I made them more uh, detailed. Well, I didn't make them up. Um, in Luke 14, Jesus gives a lot of detail about the excuses. So we're in Matthew 22, but for a really short, brief moment of time, I'm going to take you through Luke 14 in the excuses so that we can elaborate on them. Luke 14:18. So one of the guys says, I can't come because I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. It's a lame excuse because nobody ever buys a piece of ground. You don't buy real estate and you've never seen it. You've never walked on it. You never see how big is it. You don't just give money to somebody for something that you've never seen. But this represents what? I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. It represents ambitions in life. You could look at real estate. I bought some real estate. I made some investments. I'm involved in commerce. I'm going to get some degrees. Whatever, fill in the blanks. But these are ambitions in life. Okay? Luke 14:19, the second excuse. I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go test them. So who buys animals, who buys a car, and doesn't test drive it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a lame excuse. It's a lame excuse. But I kind of laughed because I, about a month or two ago, my, I had a riding lawnmower and it broke down and I couldn't wait for it to come in. And I was really mad because it came in in pieces. So my wife is taking pictures of me and put it on Facebook. She puts everything on Facebook. You know, <laughs> she's like, he's so hard at work out there. I'm putting the steering wheel on, I'm putting the thing together, and I, I couldn't wait to test the thing, put the gas in it, turn it on, to, you know. So I, I get what's going on here, because this represents the possessions in life, and boys like their toys. So let's make this applicable to the 21st century. Cars, houses, recreation, toys, the things that we labor for. I want to go test it out. And ladies, you have stuff too. But what these are, are they're, these things are not bad. They're innocuous. But when we put them in front of the things of God, they become little idols. They become little gods. And I've got to tell you something. I wouldn't have tested that lawnmower had it been a day I'm supposed to be studying for the sermon or a day I'm going to church. I would be a little patient and wait for another day to test that riding lawnmower out. So these were, these were excuses that people make either for not coming to God or when they are, have a nominal relationship with God, let everything in the world get in front of learning about the Lord more. Luke 14.20, the third excuse. This one's great. One of the guys goes, he's invited, he goes, I married a wife and cannot come. It's like, dude, couldn't you bring her? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's... But Jesus does this on purpose because he shows the lameness of the excuses that humans have to put everything else in front of God when they shouldn't be. And we could have, a, you know, God could be prioritized number 20 down on the list. And then what happens when there's a crisis and there's a trial and I've seen it? You know, that's it. Uh, maybe people actually get mad at God when it's them who blew him off and put him last on the list. God respects himself. He's not like a... a a fair-weather friend that we just call on when we need. It's a, it's a relationship. That's what Christianity is. But when you look at this situation, I married a wife and cannot come, this represents relationships in life. And let me tell you something, relationships can be very powerful. You're dating somebody, you're married somebody, family, the associates at work, and you know, you're moving towards God and someone's telling you, stop. You know, I, I don't want that for us in our relationship. And you have to make a decision in your life. What are you going to do? 
relationships can become very, very powerful. I know some that, you know, if their kids don't want to come to church, they're little gods, whatever, little five-year-old Johnny, he makes the rules in the house. Really? Wait till he's 15, okay? You know, <laughs> things are really going to change for you. Again, none of these, these, these things are uh, bad in itself. They're not. Many of them are very good, but are we always putting them in front of the things of God? And this is amazing. God invites humanity lost and sinful humanity to salvation. And sadly, instead of being enthusiastic, excuses are made for not coming. In Matthew 22, 6, it says, The rest seized the servants and killed them. And this could represent heavy Christian persecution uh, after Christ's ascension. You know, there was persecution and Rome started to turn on the Christians. But there's been persecution for the last 2,000 years. And even secular groups today, if you look at some of these groups, you know, they have to admit now that Christians are the most persecuted group in the world. We live in a bubble in the United States. We have a lot of really great freedoms to even be in this place without the authorities knocking on the door, kicking it in and arresting us and telling us to disperse. That's not the case in a lot of places in the world. So for the last 2,000 years, there's been heavy, and, and especially the last 15 years, been heavy persecution. We continue, verse 7. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Four out of seven is the judgment. And this was specific to the first century. This was specific to really A.D. 70, uh, when the Romans came and just made a mess, made a, a horrible mess out of the whole religious system looted the gold, burned the temple down, and basically um, it was a pretty sad time in Jerusalem, but Jesus prophesied this in Luke 19, and he said because Jerusalem, almost personifying the spiritual city of Jerusalem, did not know the time of her visitation of her Messiah, these things would have to take place. Now, the judgment in the afterlife is even worse for those that continue to say no to God, no to God, no to God, and then they're solidified in that state, Right? Um, God often used pagan nations. This is nothing new. You look at the Old Testament prophets. He used the Assyrians, the Syrians. We're covering that in Second Kings, teaching on Wednesday night. The Babylonians, and here the Romans he's speaking about. Okay? Verse 8, he said, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. This is an amazing point, not worthy. And it's true, even today, you know, I wasn't worthy when I received Christ. And it's amazing that God didn't, the first, second, and third time that I said, yeah, no, I've got things, I'm busy, I can't fit God into my lifestyle. It's amazing that God didn't say, all right, that's it, I'm done with you. That's the beautiful thing of the Lord. He was patient with us, you know, he overlooks our foolishness, okay? But we aren't worthy. I was not worthy, I'm still not worthy of God's grace, I deserve justice for my sins, as you do. But through Jesus Christ, we're given grace, which is a phenomenal thing. You don't see it anywhere, really, in the world. Um, Continuing in 9 and 10. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So five out of seven is the all-inclusive, heaven-filling gospel. To the Jew first, 
and then the Gentile and anybody else who's out there. Anybody else in the corner of the world or wherever they are, God says, you're invited. You know, you're invited to be saved. Now, some get trapped and they say, well, well, uh, you know, so we were, you know, we're Gentiles, we were afterwards. You have to understand that when God sees things, he sees things in a snapshot all, all at once. And we look at kind of a who came first, who got this first. In the end, God is always fair. And this is really a diachronistic, in other words, looking through time, picture of the, you know, the Mosaic Law, and we continue through the prophets and the prophecy of the Messiah and the Jews coming to their Jewish Messiah, and you see this progression. Okay, I'm not offended. I'm a Gentile, but a Gentile believer, but I'm not offended because I understand the full concept of the Scripture. I know He loves me just as much as anybody else. He doesn't play favorites, so don't look at it like that. Um, but God was doing a work, and especially the religious people. So He tells these parables and. Jesus always had, they were like the, um, I don't know, like the secret police. The religious systems always had somebody on his tail. If they could have back then, they would have had the black caprices with the tinted out windows, you know, following him around. And they always, the religious leaders always heard his teachings because they were always really looking to trip him up. Nice, right? Because they didn't want him to take any of their glory that they were enjoying. Amazing. Uh, But what happened is, they must have heard this and it must have floored them because they looked at a segment of society as the dregs of society. And we still hear that term today. And they felt there were certain people that could not be saved. And Jesus was saying, find them anywhere. On the highways, good and bad, bring them in. You know, you're invited to salvation. Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And that was a really a hyperbolic uh, teaching. It was a purposeful, uh, emotional, really you paint a picture, and then he would make a point out of it. And in Luke 16, he actually softens it a little bit and says, basically what I'm saying is that from John the Baptist pointing to the Messiah, to Jesus, and to Jesus, Jesus would often speak about himself in the third person, okay? Um, probably was a really good learning tool but that people are pressing into the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like the, the gates of heaven opened up, especially with Jesus dying on the cross, and pe- billions of people were flooding into the kingdom sp- in a spiritual sense. So once Christ died for the sins of humanity and then rose again, that really opened everything up. Pretty impressive. Okay, verse 10, uh, which I covered. He says that the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all they found, both good and bad. And you can see this with disciples. You can see with evangelists today. You can see with Christians trying to evangelize the world. There is, when we read the scripture, there is nobody that is supposed to be outside of our field of influence. So, you know, it's funny. People say, well, what about the Muslims? What about the Buddhists? I say Jesus came for them too. And as believers, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a human being with a beating heart and you can breathe, it's our job to tell you about the beautiful invitation to the wedding feast. And that's what I love about that. There's just no discrimination. And, and that's what the point he's trying to make here. It doesn't matter. And, and sometimes I find myself, when I'm, I, I like to do evangelism. I like to go out into the world. Um, I like to sometimes go out into the street, sometimes maybe on a weekend, and I tell my my wife that. I want to find somebody 
who's behaving or looking like they would never come to church and I want to tell them about Jesus. I just love doing that. I enjoy it. So, and I'm not looking down on them. I'm just saying, you know, I want to find the folks that, that maybe would never step foot in a church. You know, I take this seriously. I love doing that. I love to tell people about Jesus. And basically what we're learning here is that nobody, nobody is outside the possibility of salvation. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, so it's not over yet, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now some, when you read that, you're like, whoa, that doesn't seem, that's why the parables, it takes really a lot of prayer, a lot of study, a lot of parallel scripture because you can come to the wrong conclusion. Definitely. But this really is, is six out of seven is the focus is on the garment. What's with this garment? What, what's the deal? He didn't have the right clothes. And, and you can make, again, a lot of people do this. I'm glad I didn't start teaching the parables in my first few years of being a pastor because I might have butchered them. It really took a long time to, to get into these somewhat cryptic but certainly very easy to understand parables. They're enigmas. Um, you know, does that mean that if you don't come dressed to church properly, you're in trouble? No, it doesn't mean anything like that. But people can make that application. That's why you have to be careful. So the garment, back in the day, if it was a, a wealthy family and they invited you to a wedding or it was, like I said, either a royal wedding, they would give out these uh, outer pieces of clothing, either a sort of vest or a, a robe that you would wear and when you would come to the wedding, everybody would have this. It's almost like your invitation card. So they would be given out beforehand, and you would come with that garment. Now, if we look in Revelation especially, when we look at the saints in heaven, whether it's Revelation 3, 4, 6, 11, or 19, 8, the saints are wearing these amazing garments. They're pure, they're white, they're, they're stunning, they're gorgeous. And... In, in three different parts of Revelation, the saints are wearing it. Now, we can look at that as, in one of them it says the righteousness of the saints, but where, does, where do we get our righteousness from? From Christ, from our identity in Christ. So ultimately, it starts with him. Just like the elders in, I believe it's Revelation 4, they have crowns. These great men in heaven, they have these crowns, but what do they do? They come down prostrate and they take off their crown and they put it at the Lord's feet. So anything that we have always goes back to the Lord. You know, uh, the, the, the garment of Christ, his righteousness covers our sin. The Old Testament was big into that. God said to come before me, your sin has to be covered. So you see a, a literal garment, but you also see a figurative garment being spoken of. Okay? The guy, when he's asked about this, he's speechless. He doesn't make an excuse. He doesn't argue. He doesn't say you're not fair. He just doesn't have anything to say because he knows that that's, you know, he came in without the garment. He's guilty as charged. Now, we can look at this as those that maybe, I don't know, maybe they're in church, maybe they come to Christ, and they really, they're not full on board with the whole Jesus thing. You know, maybe they come forward and it's an emotional experience, which it shouldn't be. It should be, a, it's a lifestyle. 
Uh, it could be something where the person comes with their own self-righteousness. Um, you know, the Pharisees did that. Maybe they thought, hey, you know, I'm good because everybody loves me and I'm really smart and people follow me, and they were deceived. All right? We can look at a lot of things, what this, maybe some uh, come pretentiously to the Lord because they just, you know, they heard about hell and they don't want to go to hell. It's really not the right reason. I mean, I've got to be honest with you, this weather's okay with me. Over 90 degrees, I hate the heat. So I'm definitely not suited for hell. Okay? But I didn't accept Jesus Christ to escape hell. I accepted it from my relationship with him. You see what I'm saying? What, what are our motives? Some people come out of fear. Some people come out of a lot of reasons. But the bottom line is we come because we, want, we desire a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So it's great that God's promised me that I'm not going to face judgment. Great for me. You know, I'm, I'm all into climate control. But also, I have an honest to good daily relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying I have the best relationship. I'm not comparing myself to anybody. But I'm saying that I came to Christ for the right reasons. So, you know, the, the garment. Have we truly accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior? Because the alternative is to be thrown into outer darkness, really spiritual darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 13, the last group of servants are the angels. They're the ones that do the Lord's bidding. And we've seen the parables, we've seen the angels before, we know what they do. Even in the first century in the New Testament, when Mary was visited or Joseph, there was a, a little bit of trepidation, a lot of bit of trepidation because, wow, there's an angel here, what does this mean? Especially if we go to the Old Testament. You know, they were mighty creatures, not what we see in some of the paintings. Now this is important too. Did you notice that up until this point with the guy in the garment, Jesus is speaking about groups, the, the servants, those that were invited, the good and the bad. All of a sudden here, the focus is in, microcosmically, on this one person and his garment. See, this is the beautiful thing about the Lord. And, and it, it cuts both ways. Whether it's judgment or whether it's salvation, it's personal. It's personal. Um, you know, when you come to the Lord, it's just between you and God. If you deny the Lord and you stand in judgment, you don't get defense attorneys, you don't get public service people, you don't get a group of people, the 3,000 people on your Facebook wall to say, hey God, you know, cut him some slack, he's very popular. It's just you, right? At the end of the day, and we can be, I love my family, my wife, my kid, at the end of the day, it's my relationship with the Lord. And what I try to teach my son and I try to teach the young people is to have your own relationship with Jesus. Don't piggyback over your mom and dad's relationship or your spouse's relationship. Jesus is a personal God. So consider that. And I think to me that's a blessing. Personal. He's always there for me. When I can tell him my secrets. I could tell him my fears. I could tell him my things that might embarrass me in front of the public. And you know what? He never squeals. He never lets it out. It's between me and him. God is a personal God. So consider that. <laughs> now, the reason why I maybe was so attention to detail, and a lot of times in the church, and let's speak about the local church, in any Bible-believing teaching church, every once in a while, a doctrine will come into the church. It'll blow in with somebody, and it's kind of weird. Like, they come in, and they notice, well, it's a Spirit-filled church, they're teaching the Word, and they try to peddle their doctrine. Okay, so this happens. Every few months, somebody comes in, 
and they try to peddle something. And what I have to do is my job is to inoculate. Okay? Um, somebody came in and brought this teaching about universalism, where uh, everybody goes to heaven and, um, you know, nobody goes to hell, and, and that's very dangerous. The Shack by William Young, uh, Love Wins by Rob Bell, they teach this, but it's a false doctrine. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says to two groups, those on his right hand and those on his left, he's speaking to people, and he speaks about a situation of those on his left hand, and he says in Matthew 25, I believe it's 41, that depart from me into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So I had somebody come up to me and said, well, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Right, but did you read the rest of the scripture? You know, and that's the thing. We, we got into a little thing in the hallway, um, and, you know, but it's some people, they come in. Well, I wrote a book. A lot of people write books, and sometimes you read some of these books, and it's a weird doctrine, and the guy says, basically, I'm here to enlighten the church because I have this special uh, revelation that nobody else has. That's dangerous. Because if we're truly the church and we are going through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is part of that situation. You know, some come from a, a, kingdom, a kingdom dominionist or new apostolic reformation uh, background where they basically say that, you know, the marriage, the wedding feast is here and, you know, we're going to fix the world and we're going to make it palatable so that Jesus could come back. We're not going to do anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The Lord's got all this covered. And what it does is it gives more power to man than it does to Jesus Christ. All right? John 3.18 says, Jesus says basically because of sin, the world is already condemned. And the only way to be lifted out of it is to believe in Jesus Christ for our sins. Uh, and Revelation 20.15, Jesus speaking to people says, anyone not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. So the, the whole idea that there isn't a hell... And, um, you know, it, I, listen, I'd love to preach that. It would be great if that was true, but it's not true. So my job here is to inoculate you because every once in a while somebody comes in and they try to spread it around, and quite frankly, it's junk doctrine. I mean, I could write a book too, and I could take 300 pages of my ideas, sprinkle some scripture in there, and convince a lot of people if it's weird doctrine. You might say, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's why I try to tell especially new believers, put the books aside, read the word get really fed with the word, get built up in the word so nobody can come and peddle something that really makes no sense. Okay? Last verse, verse 14. He says, For many are called, but few are chosen. And just, let me just jump into 15 too. Then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. So just so you know, everything that I've been saying... These people followed him around. They try to trip him up. They try to get the masses to say, no, he's not the Messiah. That's why when they went to crucify him, they did it at nighttime because he had a lot of followers. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's get rid of this Jesus. I mean, if, you, if your case was really that good, why would you do that in the dark of night, which was illegal anyway? Um, so there's, there's a lot to that. Seven out of seven is many are called, but few are chosen. And it goes back to John 3.16, whosoever will come. It's a clarion call. Don't ever think, well, do I know if, if, you know, I'm one of the ones? Just, you know, it's like the expression goes, well, do I know if the Lord chose me? Well, choose him, and you'll find that you're chosen. It's very simple. You know, again, a lot of enigmas in the scripture, but it's also a lot of very simple uh, things to understand. 
Choosing goes in two directions, right? God chose me, but I also chose him. God didn't force me. You know, he let me go for a few years and he let me do my thing and he was always there waiting because he loved me, just like with you. You could say, well, yeah, but I've, I've said no before. Or, you know, I, I did something, I said something. Listen, it doesn't matter. Are you ready? Are you ripe? Do you want to come to receive Christ as your Savior? Today is your day. It's an awesome thing. God's been calling people to salvation for thousands of years, right? So my question is, what are you doing with the invitation that you've received through his word? Are you going to answer it? You know, if the phone rings and it's God, are you going to pick up the phone? <laughs> right? We've we, we got caller ID now, so it's a sales call as we do at home. Just let it ring. But this is God we're speaking about. When God calls, are you going to answer the phone? God's calling you through his word. Do you have excuses? I did. Again, I'm not picking on anybody because I'm going to put myself out there as the worst example. I have plenty of excuses. I'm not even going to tell you them because I'll embarrass myself. But uh, do you think your excuses will be valid when you stand before God? Do you think your excuses were better than these? They're still not going to hold up. Many are invited, but many also refuse to come. Many will find themselves outside the kingdom because they were distracted, they were unprepared, or they turned their nose up it. They scoffed. The doors were closed. And I think, again, me in my 20s, I'll use myself as an example, I thought, I'm in my 20s. I'm on top of the world. You know, I, I got plenty of time to consider this. You know you don't. You really don't. Nobody knows when it's going to be their last day. Isaiah 55, 6 says, To seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He's near right now. We are in the age of grace. But eventually, that's, this isn't going to go on forever. Okay? Just want to encourage you with this. And I hope that even with everything that was said, that you're, you're encouraged. Okay? God has to tell us the bad news. I mean, do you want the bad... You know, people say to me, do you want the good news or the bad news? I always say, give me the bad news first. You know? I want to end on a high note. That's just me. You might be different. No, don't tell me ever the bad news. We don't want to know the bad news when we die and we face the Lord and goes, oh, this is really bad, i got to tell you, and you can't change it. It's too late. Tell me the bad news now so I can avoid it. I can avoid that trap. So let me leave you with this. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Respond to his invitation. Let's pray. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.